Oh, man. That brings back memories, right? You, today is Mother's Day, and, you know, as I just think about mothers and the role that my mom has played in my life, right? That hymn fits this shirt, um, says, faithful over famous. When I think about the role that mothers play in all the small things they do, most often they go unnoticed. Most often they get no praise. But man, I tell you what, when you think about your mother in your life, most of us can say that she's been faithful, that she serves in spite of, that she loves. I mean, you know, um, we have something about to start at fellowship that's close to my heart because Trisha and I became parents about a year ago. May 4th was the anniversary of us getting our three little ones. Now, we went on a crash course, and I don't highly recommend all the rest of y'all go in and, and start with um, three toddlers at once. Um, the tears that we cried over this last year hadn't all been in joy. Um, there's been some frustration. There's been some exhaustion. Uh, there's been some heartache. I tell you what, moms, um, daddies, too, know that feeling of going to daycare, and they're like, your kid bit again today. <laughs> like, we just had to talk. What's wrong with you? We feed you at home. We got mac and cheese. What are you doing? And so, but Fellowship is getting ready to start a, a, a foster and adopt ministry. And so um, there's a group, their first meeting, and they're going to have an info meeting. It's going to be on Sunday the 27th from 2 to 4 at the Urish campus over um, in the fireside room at the Urish campus. And I want to invite you to be a part of this, not just if you're thinking about fostering or adopting. It's not just for that. Not whether you're thinking about domestically or internationally, not just that. But also, if you just want to know ways of how to support and love on families who foster and adopt. One of the things that, that, that we have here, we say that, that no kid who walks through that door um, is parentless. We say there should be no orphans who walk through that door because every kid that walks through the doors of Fellowship High Crest is now our kid. It belongs to us. And so this is a way to love on families. There's some tangible ways when a family is open to fostering, there's a lot of times where they get the call in the middle of the night and they need diapers, they need clothes, they need strollers, they need baby carriers, they need, Trisha and I, we had all these toys and we had no um, pacifiers, we had no bottles, we had nothing. And we were like, man, we really love on these kids. And they got there and they were screaming. We were like, what were we thinking? <laughs> and so this is your opportunity to find out more about that. And so... Um, we hope that some of you can be a part of that, that, that that is a way that maybe God is calling you to serve the body. And it's a very needed thing. It's at the point that uh, both in Texas and in Kansas, the head of those departments are reaching out. They, they're sending out special messages to the churches saying, please get involved. Did you know that some states, and I'm going to move on here, but some states have it in their law 
that once a kid is adopted and you write him into your will or her into your will, that you can no longer take them out? If that is not a picture of what it means to be adopted into the family of God, then what is? Once you are adopted in by the blood of Jesus Christ, you can't be taken out of the wheel. How much of a picture of what it means to be adopted into the family of God is it to carry on orphans? So I hope that you're a part of that. I want to say happy Mother's Day. If you haven't heard it before, we have a special lounge set up for, for all ladies, not just mothers. And so um, if you didn't get a chance to go by that before service, we offer you that to you after service. We hope that you can take advantage of that. And it's set up just for moms. There's some mocktails in there. There's some, um, some truffles in there. There's some special cupcakes. And I didn't even use pastoral privilege to taste any. As my, mom, as my wife crossed her legs and ate, and I was like, what flavor is that? And she wouldn't even tell me. <laughs> you see how we get treated? Just think about the music, right? I'll always love my mama and father was a rolling stone. That's just, it just displays once again. So uh, if this is your first Sunday uh, being our guest, we want to welcome you here. And as we go throughout the sermon, you'll see some page numbers on the screen. Those page numbers correlate to the Bibles that are in your seat. And we do that because we value you seeing that what we're saying actually comes from the word of God. Now, if you don't have a Bible, please take that one as our gift to you. If you know someone who doesn't have a Bible, please take that one and give it to them as a gift from the both of us. And if you don't have a Bible that's easy to read or they don't have one that's easy to read, then please take that one um, as a gift from the both of us. So that's there for you to have. And, and if, I'll tell you what, the Bible that my mom carried around is one that I got and gave to her. And so what better gift than a Bible, than the Word of God for your mom if she doesn't have one? Take that one and give it to her so that she can get in the Word. So our focal passage for this morning comes from the book of Joshua, the second chapter of Joshua, to be more specific. And it's found on page 130 of those blue Bibles. And I'm going to jump straight in this morning because we have some road to travel. There um, in chapter 2 of Joshua Um, Verses 1 through 14 say this. Then Joshua secretly sent out two spies from the Israelite camp at Acacia Grove. He instructed them, scout out the land on the other side of the Jordan River, especially around Jericho. So the two men set out and came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there that night. But someone told the king of Jericho, some Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come into your house, for they have come here to spy out the whole land. Um, Rahab had hidden the two men, um, but she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they were from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch up with them. Actually, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax um, she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossings of the Jordan River. As soon as the king's men had left, the gate of Jericho was shut. Before the spies went to sleep that night, those guys are some brave guys. They're sleeping inside the enemy camp. Rahab went up on the roof to talk with them. 
I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We are all afraid of you. Everyone is in the land and in the land is living in terror. For we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you were when you left Egypt. And we know what you did to Shion and Og, the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. Those sound like names from a Wu-Tang clan CD. But whose people you completely destroyed? No wonder our hearts have melted in fear. No one has the courage to fight after hearing such things. For the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of the heavens above and the earth below. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me some guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all their families. We offer uh, our own lives as a guarantee for your safety. The men agreed, if you don't betray us, you will, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us the land. This is God's word. This is God's word. Now, there's a lot there. The Bible is divided into two parts, the Old Testament and the New Testament. Our focal passage comes from what is known as the Old Testament. Joshua is a name that literally means Yahweh saves or God saves. And and when it's translated into Aramaic, which is uh, one of the common languages that was spoken during Jesus' day, the name Joshua becomes Jesus. This story is about how God delivered this promised land that he had promised to the nation of Israel. What Joshua plays for the people of Israel, Jesus plays on a larger role for all of God's people. Here's a quick note. As you read through Scripture, one of the biggest mistakes you can make is to read yourself into the Scriptures. Because when you read yourself into the Scriptures, more than likely you're going to read yourself in as the hero. You are never the hero. Jesus is the hero. You are not David. Jesus is David. We're the ones cowering on the hill that were afraid to go fight Goliath. So Jesus is the larger Joshua. The Bible is what we call a meta narrative, meaning it's the same story told over and over again with different characters that make the same point. The Hebrews got that. And that's why in the English Bible, the book of Joshua is considered this historical narrative. But in the Hebrew Bible, they make it one of the prophets. Because they saw how God could use the stories of others to show how he acts in the present and in the future. We're going to get into the story in just a second. But before we do, I have to frame the story theologically and culturally so that we don't misinterpret the text. So here are four things you need to know before going to Jericho. Four things you need to know before going to Jericho. First, God's help doesn't forbid human action. It assumes human action. God's help doesn't forbid human action. It assumes human action. Here's what I mean by that. God promised the land to Israel. Joshua did not send spies into the land to go see if they could take the land. No. He already validated that when he was a spy years ago. And that story is in Numbers 13 through 14. What Joshua was doing was he was sending the spies into the land to determine the best way to go and do what God had already promised. He was doing all the upfront work. So what I want you to understand is we shouldn't use God's promise or faith as an excuse to smash the couch. 
what do I mean by smashing the couch? When you go to somebody's house, you can tell what their favorite seat is. How? Well, you look at the couch cushions. The one that's depressed the most is where they love to sit all the time. What I'm used to hearing is people saying, I'm believing God for a new car. I'm believing God for a new job. I'm believing God for um, a, a new boyfriend, a girlfriend, for a spouse, a husband, a wife. And what I see is you're not working any extra hours at work for that truck. They're not putting in any applications or, or resumes or applic- you know, any of that kind of stuff or going on interviews for a new job. They're not putting themselves in environments where singles exist, where, where they can meet people. And so what they're really doing is they're not really believing in God for those things. What they're really doing is they're rubbing the side of a genie lamp. Let's not use faith as an excuse to smash the couch and not take any action on what God has already promised. What we see here in Joshua was that the promise of God motivated his action to take the matters that he the way that he needed to take. Number two. Bloom where you are planted. Hearing that God's work, workers' immediate destination was a prostitute house can seem strange. All right? But here are two things that we need to consider as a part of this story. First, Rahab's house was a part of the construction of the wall. Therefore, it would have been an easy point of entry and an easy way to escape the city. Number two, strange men at a harlot's house don't really raise suspicion. Our guys are spies. Part of being a spy is trying not to raise suspicion because bad spies raise suspicion and get killed. Just so we know. So these guys were not doing anything extra special fantastic. They were doing their role as spies. Rahab, as welcoming in guys who were traveling along the road, was doing her role as what a madam of an inn does. If we learn to stay in our lanes and take advantage of the opportunities that God has already placed in front of us, we have more than enough opportunities to be used by God for God's will and for his glory. So let us start where we live, our location, where we work, our vocation, where we learn our education and where we play our recreation. God has called some of us to go minister in strip clubs, but he's called a lot more of us to be witnesses in the break room, the lunch room, the locker room, in our living rooms. Let's learn to bloom where we've been planted. Number three, we never co-sign on sin. We never co-sign on sin. Rahab lived in an environment where lying was okay. Plus, in ancient um, Orient customs and, and culture, it was especially and very important to protect one's house guests. And this cultural pressure fortified her faith, but it also revealed the immaturity of her faith. Her act of being, her act being counted as righteous by God was not God uh, condoning or, or approving her actions. It was God showing mercy. A lie is always a sin. So let's not teach or live by the principle that it's okay to lie if it's for the right reasons. Number four, loose lips may sink ships, but closed lips lose generations. Loose lips may sink ships, but closed lips lose generations. In verse 14, 
um, it showed that if Rahab talked too much, it would um, put her life in danger. But if we don't talk at all, it'll put the lives of all those around us in danger. You know, the group of Israelites in this book are sometimes referred to as the Joshua generation. And they're thought to be one of the greatest generations of people throughout the whole biblical narrative. But they had a weakness. Their weakness is seen in chapter two of the very next book of the Bible, Judges, in verses six through 10. And here's what it says. After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allowed to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived them, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the land that he had been allocated at Timnah, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. Remember we said when you're reading, it's whatever you want it to be. So it could be Mount Hillcrest if you want. It's whatever you, when you're reading, it's whatever you want it to be. Just keep it straight. All right. So after that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that he had done for Israel. How sad is that? They were so busy achieving their goals that they forgot to disciple the generation that came behind them, their primary goal. Let that not be the case for us. Let us not be so busy achieving that we forget to disciple and share the story of what God has done in our lives with the generations to follow. But let's be honest. There are a couple reasons why this story is hard to swallow. First of all, it makes reference to a God who seemingly controls all things. The story has a holy God partnering with sinful men to accomplish his purposes. And then the people who this holy God chose to partner with chose to partner with a prostitute. Now, don't you think that if God existed and he was holy, if he would ever lower himself to partner with fickle men, that he wouldn't tie his story or his purpose to someone with the reputation of a prostitute? And if we're honest, there are probably people that know your past who have trouble believing where you say that you are within your relationship with God right now for some of the exact same reasons. So to help us better understand how God uses someone with a past reputation, I've invited my friend Eddie Witt to come up and share his story with us. Would you please welcome him up? All right, Eddie, thanks for joining us this morning, man. Good morning, everyone. Yeah. And Eddie, what role do you play here uh, at Fellowship Highcrest? I am the technical arts director for here at Highcrest. Yeah, yeah. And how long has it been since you stepped over the line of faith? Uh, I first accepted Christ into my life when I was 10 or 11 years old. Um, During my teenage years, though, I pretty much I fell away from it. And I tried to get rid of my faith altogether uh, during most of my adult life, but, uh, but old Christ, he was having none of that with me. Yeah. And how would somebody describe you and your character and your life before that, that, that change in your adult life took place? 
Um, well, I'm a recovering drug addict and alcoholic. Um, so most of my life has been in the pursuit of what I needed to uh, get by. Um, instead of it being uh, the husband or father that I needed to be, um, it was just uh, chasing the needs. Um, boy. It's been three over three years now, and it's still it's still pretty tough and emotional for me. So, um, I love you all too. Eddie, what was it that brought you to the point where you would surrender your life to Christ? Oh, I remember the day. Uh, it's the day that Gina looked at me, and I saw a look on her face that day that I've never seen before and I never, ever want to see again. And when she told me just to flat get out, she was done. She was through. And for me to take my dirty butt, hit the curb. Uh, and it was the day I, I stepped into rehab. Um, I knew that I sat outside of rehab and I drank a bottle of whiskey and chased it with a 6 or 12 pack of beer and uh, I was either getting up the nerve to uh, to run away or I was getting up the nerve to walk in, and I actually got up the nerve to walk in. And when I went in and got all signed in, I went into detox, and the first thing I did is I dropped down on my knees and I said to Jesus that, you know, I, I cannot, I cannot go through this alone. That was the second time in my life Jesus ever spoke to me, and I heard the words as clear as day that all those years that I was trying to push him away. He never left me. He was always there for me. Hmm. Man, we're glad you took that step. And, and was there someone um, who made taking that step easier? Um, that, and what was it about them that maybe helped you take that next step with God? Well, Jonathan, during, during that time, there was no one. I had... Um, I had exhausted all of my friendships when uh, the day I checked in was the day I was the most alone in my life, and I knew that it was going to be me and God that walked that walk. Uh, I didn't know that I would have a place uh, when I was getting out of rehab. It was just a couple of days before I got out of rehab that Gina came up and said that I would, she would take the chance on me, and so that is when she stepped back in and started walking the walk with me. Uh, it, but during the, the initial period, was uh, it was me. Hmm. And are some people are there some people in your past who haven't seen you in a while that that maybe struggle to believe where you're at now and, and how your life looks, or they're surprised and maybe say, "Man, I'm I'm surprised, Eddie, when you walk into the church, the building don't fall in on you, kind of thing." And so, you know, with today's day and age, with uh, social media the way it is, a lot of those people have been able to keep track of me uh, that way. Uh, but with my past, there's a lot of people in my past that I choose to stay far, far away from. Um, uh, is not saying that they're bad people. They just haven't found the right path yet. Uh, if they started to f- wanted to follow that path, I would be there to lead them. But I need to stay away from uh, yeah. that group. And are, are any of those people that you pray for on a regular basis, hoping that and wishing that they could find and have the relationship that you have with God now? Oh, there's dozens of them. There's dozens of them. People I used to warm bar seats with. Uh, I I really wish uh, that they would 
uh, be able to make those steps. I know that they believe, but boy, that addiction is, uh, that's, it's one powerful deal. Yeah. Now, Eddie, one of your most um, noticeable traits is the tattoo on the back of your head. And I remember a, a couple of weeks ago on um, social media, I saw that you were getting some tattoos changed, and I'm considering getting a tattoo myself. I'm trying to decide what I want. And, um, but, but why leave that one, and does that one have any special meaning? And if so, then what? Well, absolutely, it's got special meaning. Um, the meaning of Christ giving everything for me uh, is powerful. Uh, it's unbelievably powerful. Uh, the two times in my life that I've heard words spoken to me from him uh, have just, it's, it's amazing. Uh, and what a great conversation starter, you know what? Who else has got a, a crucifix tattooed on the back of their head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, bro, I'm glad that, that you have allowed God to use your own version of what it means to be unashamed to continue to share that story. And, and how has the trajectory of your, of your family changed, though, as a result of you now walking with Christ, though? I'd love to tell you, sit here and tell you that it was an overnight change. The day I sobered up and got clean, that uh, everything was all hunky-dory, but uh, it wasn't. It's been a very long, long road for, uh, for my family and for me, uh, but they can see me for who I am now, and I have two teenagers at home, and my patience is a lot better than what it, uh, what it used to be. Um, I was, I was a, a happy drunk. But I was one mean S-O-B-E-R. Um, when I was sober, it was when I was mean because I needed the drugs. Mm. So that when it's building relationships with, uh, with the boys and with Gina again, um, something that we never had. Yeah. And so how's God using your current role here with, with Fellowship Highcrest for his glory and to help others take their next step? Oh, man. I use... Uh, I use uh, Christ in every aspect of my life. Now I try to p- always put him first um, and the forefront of my life. Uh, I, I bring him to work, uh, preach at work, uh, try to get people to come, um, just mentoring here. Uh, every aspect of my life, uh, Jesus first, and our motto. I mean, it, it goes back to it, you know, to help people find and follow Jesus Christ. Yeah. Some of y'all guys don't know, but um, as we were preparing to launch Fellowship High Crest, Eddie would get off of work each day, and he would come and work into the wee hours of the morning, running all the cable and all the different things, getting the screens and all the lights and everything, helping those get set up um, because of this chance. And, and he offers opportunities for people to come and join the Take Arts team and to serve in that manner and to train them. Um, Eddie's here pretty much every Saturday helping to set up and get things ready. But, Eddie, just one more question for you. Today is Mother's Day. Anything you want to say about how Gina supported you along this journey and maybe more broadly the power of a wife's influence in her husband's life? Well, she has been with me for uh, 23-plus years, uh, that including dating time. Um, So she's put up with a lot. Uh, the last three years uh, since becoming sober, building the relationship, she's been very supportive over everything. Um, so she's she has been everything uh, to me. I mean, I love you, baby. You know that. 
I love you. All right. Well, Eddie, thanks for your vulnerability, man, and your, your candidness and sharing Absolutely. your story. Why don't everybody give Eddie a hand? I just want to share a little bit more with you about Rahab's story before we get out of here. In verses 15 through 19, here's what it says. It says, Then since Rahab's house was built into the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window. Escape to the hill country, she told them. Hide there for three days from the men searching for you. Then when they have returned, you can go on your way. Before they left, the men told her, We will be bound by oath by the oath that we have taken, only if you follow these instructions. When we come into the land, you must leave the scarlet rope hanging from the window through which you let us down. And all your family members, your father, your mothers, brothers, and all your relatives must be here inside this house. If they go out into the street and are killed, it will not be our fault. But if anyone lays a hand on people inside this house, we'll accept the responsibility for their death. I just saw somebody and it's all before. In our text this morning, God, the men told Rahab that they would know the house to come to and the family to save when they came back by the crimson cord that was hanging from the window of that house. There was another time in Israel's history that read over the doorpost, save the nation. It was when the Israelites were getting ready to escape slavery from Egypt, when Moses told all the people to go home and take the blood of the lamb and spread it over the doorpost. And when the angel of death came, those who believed and followed his directions, their firstborn would be saved. And those who did not believe and did not keep the faith, then they would lose their firstborn. What we see here in this text that God spared the lives of Rahab and her household because of her faith. Any of Rahab's relatives who had chosen to gather with her before the Israelite siege would have done so because of their faith as well as in God's promise through those spies. If they had no faith, then they would have stayed in their homes. Thus, the deliverance of Rahab and her family depended on believing a promise from God. Salvation has always come by believing a promise from God. God did all this through the story of a prostitute. While most of us are afraid that people won't believe us because of our past, many, many more are believing God because of how he's choosing to use us in spite of our past. Moms, I need you to hear this. Ladies, if you're not moms, I still need you to hear this. No matter what your story was, God can use it to birth something great, something beautiful. Not only did Rahab's family status change, but the direction 
and her family history changed forever because of her faith. What do I mean? Rahab's family was allowed to live amongst the Israelites. And they became like a part of the Israelites. And then along came this strong guy named Salmon. And Salmon married her even though she had a bad reputation as a prostitute. And he loved on her when, when no one should have loved on her. And they had a son named Boaz. Who was Boaz? Boaz was Ruth's kinsman redeemer. Ruth was another Gentile who was among God's people who shouldn't have belonged there, who everybody else had given up on, who didn't, they didn't care if she lived, if she died, if she got food, if she starved to death. But Boaz took her as his wife. Now, what would give him the kind of character to do that? I would bet all the money I had in the bank, it was because his parents told him their story. What I'm saying is this. Ladies, stop worrying about your past and focus on how God is equipping you to send out a few more Boazes into this world. God may not send you a Boaz to be with in a relationship, but he may be giving you the opportunity to send out and raise up a Boaz. A couple of more generations down the line, we get to David. Another generation down the line, and we get to Solomon. A few more generations down the line, and we get to Jesus. There are five ladies that are found in the genealogy of Jesus that is found at the beginning of the gospel according to Matthew. That's at the the beginning of the New Testament. Here are those five ladies. You get Tamar, who was a widowed daughter-in-law, who had to disguise herself as a prostitute to get her father-in-law to do what he was supposed to do by her. Then you get to Rahab, who's a prostitute and a Gentile. Then you get to Ruth, who's a widow and a Gentile. Then you get to Bathsheba, who was a B.C. victim of the Me Too movement. And then you get to Mary, an unmarried teenager who got pregnant while engaged. God has a knack for taking unlikely stories and using them for his glory. The telling of your story won't so much depend on where you start, but to whom you entrust your heart. Just like in the story of Rahab and these four other women, ladies, if you are willing to put your trust in Christ, God can use your faith to save not only your household, but to also give birth to something so much greater. Put your bottom dollar in Christ. Put your faith in him. Through these imperfect women, God birthed our perfect savior, fully God and fully man. And he came and suffered in every way that we might suffer so that we can be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. He came so that we can be redeemed completely. I hope that you enjoyed some chocolate today. I hope that you got cards today. I hope that you got some flowers today. But I hope that you don't leave here today without taking advantage of the opportunity to be fully known and fully loved by the God of the universe. The way you take advantage of this offer is by doing what we call stepping across the line of faith. You step across the line of faith by understanding that God is holy and we are not. And when we were at our worst, Christ sent his son to die for us. He was hung on a cross and he was buried in a cave, much like the ones that those spies hid in. And three days later, just like those spies that came out of those caves in three days, He came out of the grave and led the greatest siege against the enemy that's ever been known. He defeated death, the grave, and sin. And he won, 
And because he won, everyone who puts their trust in him wins. Are you tired of losing? Are you tired of trying to hide your past and cover it up? Join the winning team where the only reputation that matter is the heroes and not ours. His name is Jesus. And you join his team by putting your trust solely in him. Do it today. The first step in taking a part of changing the direction of your family is stepping over the line of faith. And then your next step, your first step of obedience is baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism is the outward show of inward change. Baptism is you hanging your crimson cord at the window of your life, signaling to the world that a change has happened on the inside. See, wouldn't it be a beautiful thing? We learn in Scripture that all those that are in Christ are saved. We get another picture of everyone who was in Rahab's house who had hung the crimson cord outside the window would be, come on now. Mothers, this is a way where you are able to display to the world that faith exists inside. Do it today. We have extra clothes. We have extra towels. And there will be someone standing at the door back here as we sing this song after our clothes. Well, we can get you handled. And you can say that it happened today on Mother's Day 2018 that you let your cord hang down out the window for the world to see. Now, if you're here and you're a believer and you've been baptized, I need you to see this. That right alongside of Moses and David and Samson and Samuel in Hebrews 11, also known as the Faith Hall of Fame, is Rahab. God is willing to use your story if you are. Your past is not what's holding you back. Your silence is. On the other side of eternity, it would be sad and selfish if you got there and there was no one who was there who could say that God used your story to help them meet him. Don't choose spiritual infertility when God has given us the opportunity to be the spiritual mother and father and brother and sister. For generations to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you're a redeeming God. That you're one that is able to take our broken past and use them for your glory. We're glad it is your reputation, the reputation of your son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we couldn't live and died the death that we couldn't die so we can have a relationship with you. There's someone here today, Father, who doesn't know you. I pray that your Holy Spirit would move would change their heart so that they would put their trust solely in you. Father, may we be people who share the story of how we serve an all-loving God who makes broken things new. We praise you and we thank you. In your darling son Jesus' name, amen.